There are a million ways to make money in the food service industry. You just have to find one. On the Titans of Food Service podcast, I interview real life movers and shakers in the food game who cut through all the noise to get to the top. My name is Nick Portillo and welcome to the Titans of Food Service podcast. Let's jump right into it. Welcome back to another episode of Titans of Food Service. I'm your host, Nick Portillo. And today we're spicing things up a little bit. That's right. After a, a, what's been nearly a year, we're, we've almost hit the one year mark, 52 episodes. I think we're just a few under that. We're going to spice it up. We're going to change up the format a little bit. And you know what? I'm excited about it. So those listening along, you're going to see some of the differences one thing you'll see right out of the gate is we're adding, adding in the fiery five food service questions. That's right. Fiery five food service questions. Okay. Now, let me go ahead and introduce my guest. Today, I welcome Liz Seely. She's the secret sauce behind some of your favorite restaurant chains and food brands. Liz is the founder and brand wayfinder. I love that title, by the way, brand wayfinder of Starry-Eyed. What is Starry-Eyed? Well, Starry-Eyed is a global insights strategy, design, and activation consultancy that's redefining the landscape of the food service industry. Liz's journey has been nothing short of extraordinary as she and her team collaborate with food brands, both massive ones and local, to help them not just define what they sell, but what they stand for as well. Pretty cool, right? Okay. Let's talk about some of the brands she's worked with. She's helped brands like, are you ready? These are some big brands. Starbucks, Panera, Chick-fil-A, Cinnabon, as well as hometown Colorado heroes, where she lives, like Big Red F, Poncho and Lefties, Legacy Pie Company, and Eat Denver. Today, we're going to get the dish on how she's been cooking up insights, strategy, design, and all things activation for food service brands. So without further ado, let's go ahead and welcome Liz. Liz, welcome to the Titans of Food Service podcast. I appreciate you taking time out of your day to come on and meet with me and share your story a little bit. Thanks so much for inviting me, Nick. Of course. I'm curious, where do you live? In Boulder, Colorado. All right. Have you lived there your whole life? I grew up south of here in Colorado Springs and have been back this time around for three years. Went to undergrad at CU Boulder. So you can imagine it's been a big season. Yes. Oh, I know. With uh, Coach Prime, it's been a fun year. I remember them coming out of the gate against uh, TCU. You know, it was a huge upset and, and a really fun story to follow. It's been so much fun. One of my marketing students actually plays for the the team. So yeah. he's got a lot of little fans in this household. Oh, I kids. love that. It, my The best man in my wedding, he went to CU Colorado Springs. Oh, nice. Yeah. He loved it out there. He went, they had a golf management program that he wanted to get into. And that was what he he majored in. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah grab him and come out for a game. Yeah, say. exactly. I love it. That sounds good to me. Well, I wanted to start off with a fiery five food service questions. There's no wrong answer. There's no right answer. I'm just, I want to, I'm just curious what you think. So if you can think to Colorado, what restaurant do you feel most captures the essence of Colorado? If someone were to come to Colorado, what is the one place essentially that they'd have to go to? Well, our top couple that are 
traditionally written about, especially here in Boulder, Frasca, which is inspired by Italy and the Frijuli region, and Corita, which is inspired by Spain. But we don't really have a quintessential Colorado font in town. Those are probably the ones that at least Boulder, Colorado is most known for with a lot of the restaurateurs. At one point, Boulder was written up as the foodiest town in America. Was it really? Happening. Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. But I would say it's a real combination of different things. And and really, if you want to go to the quintessential Colorado hotspot, you go to the craft brewery. Oh, of course. Of course. And there are a lot of those. I'm sure. I'm sure. We have a lot of those here. I'm based in in Orange County, but down in we have a we have a good amount of breweries, but down in San Diego, you know, it's definitely I, I think similar to to Boulder. It's it's a destination point because of those breweries, Stone and uh, Ballast Point. There's a, a few really well known ones. Exactly. One, I will say one of the favorite Colorado restaurant groups is called Big Red F. It's okay. an independent restaurant group, and they have several concepts. But one is mm-hmm. called The Post Chicken and Beer, and they do the most amazing craft beer. And they also do more of a Colorado style. We call, I call it nostalgia menu with yeah. free fried chicken. And then all kinds of sort of reinvented classic American dishes. Love that. So that might too be similar to what a Coloradatude restaurant would look like. Did you say Coloradatude? Oh my gosh. It's got, it's got Coloradatude, you know, that spirit of adventure. Yep. That, that spirit of exploration. It, many, many years ago, um, my wife, at the time, my girlfriend, she went to Colorado to visit her college roommate because she grew up in Niwot, which is a a city with a population of like, I don't know, like 200 people. It's tiny. And she was gone for about a week. And I remember we were texting back and forth, just connecting because she was in a place where there wasn't a lot of internet service. And uh, for like a few days, she was kind of rude. And I was like, man, I don't know what's going on. And then she texted me. She said... um, I thought she said, I have attitude sickness. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. But really what she had was altitude sickness, which was hilarious because I didn't find out until she got back. But I was like, that makes so much sense as to what's going on here is attitude sickness. I don't know what it is, but I totally believe that's what you have right now. That's so funny. Yes, yeah. you can't be too careful. Just tell her to drink water. Her attitude mm-hmm. in no time. Mm-hmm. Looking at the food service industry as a whole, what would you say is your favorite food trend happening in the industry right now? Well, there there are food trends, and then there are trends that are even bigger than that. My favorite food, or my favorite trend overall, is the sustainability movement within mm. food service and restaurants. You know, especially food service companies who are investing to fight to fight climate change now with renewables. I love what Chipotle is doing, for instance, with their all electric stores uh, to cut greenhouse gas emissions. So I think that's a big one. And it kind of parlays into the packaging piece too. I just saw a brand called Bar You Eat, which has a compostable package. One of the first that I've seen. Mm -hmm. So I think the sustainability piece is big. Same thing for when it comes to ingredients, finding those regenerative sources or sources that save water. I think that's super exciting. Yeah. I love that. I love that. It's, you know, those types of the sustainable sustainability efforts here in California, it's a big thing, Mm -hmm. you know, and has been for a while. And it sounds like, you know, the rest of the country is really coming along there as well. Uh, you mentioned Chipotle and what they're doing. They're actually, I, I'm where I'm recording here is in Newport Beach, and probably five minute drive is the Chipotle headquarters. Oh, that's great. That's yeah. great. Move for, right from here to right to there. 
Well, and yep. I'd, I'd say for food service trend, uh, when it comes to ingredients and food, you know, everybody's talking about adaptogens, but that's been around for a while. Yeah. We talked about that like seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the the more exciting is probably some of the sugar balancing, hormone balancing, you know, stuff that we're sort of on the cusp of right now. There's even been talk of how do we eat to enhance our red blood cells so that you can survive and thrive at high altitude. So things that actually would change your makeup almost. Interesting. That That's something I've not heard of before, but I like that. Yeah. On, on the topic of trends, if you had to predict what the next food service trend is, what would you want it to be? What I want it to be? I think now that we are moving away from plant-based everything, and even you know, some are predicting the return of dairy milk and mm. moving away from plant-based milks, I think it would be more the personalization component. So now that we understand how people with different body types or metabolism types could eat, I think it would be really cool to say, what could that ultra personalized meal be and how do you make it? I think there are some of these, like even the bigger chains like Panera, we're getting close to that where they can start to say, what is it that you need Um, from metabolic, but also flavor, you know, preference positioning. So it'll be really fun, I think, to see how that evolves. I think Sweetgreen's doing a good job of that too. Of um, I think the exciting stuff will be in food service trends that maybe you're inspired by mashups or, you know, they do a good job of bringing in like seaweed, for instance, or it's kind of the balance of sustainability, but they'll also have a link to maybe a chef behind it. Ooh, I love that. Going back to my wife, she's lactose intolerant. So the, you know, Around when it comes to dairy, if she could have more meals catered around that, she'd be all in for that. That'd be nice. Yeah. yeah. And I could do experiential dining for a little while. You know, during COVID, there were all kinds of creative ways to recreate the restaurant experience at home. We've maybe gone away from that a little bit, but I think all of the packaging innovation that's happened, all of the restaurant design element where you're sort of immersed in what the brand's about, that that's what I would wish for. Mm. What about in the past decade? Is there an innovative restaurant concept or chain that has most stood out to you? You know what? Having just worked on a Chick-fil-A project, I was a fan as a, as a mom with lots of littles. I've always liked it. But to be there and to be in the headquarters where they've really done a good job of preserving the culture and the memories of the founder and the family, and it's all baked in, pun intended, of the, the values and the history and the heritage, I am now a super fan, I have to admit. They've done a really nice job of conveying what it is that you know, they stand for with taking care of people. And you can you can feel that in the culture and, and in the consumer with the consumers. We got to do a lot of consumer research and they just love it. Yeah, I bet. Everybody who goes to Chick-fil-A, they just yeah, they love it. Um for me, I haven't been in in a long time. I I think the last time I went, I was in probably in college, which would have been uh, about 10 years ago. And I think the portions were too small. And I was uh, playing baseball at the time. I was like, I just need more food than this. I'm on a budget here. Um, But I need to go back and try it again. Yeah. Well, and and on another example on the fringes of food service, it's more food service related. They're not a CPG or restaurant company necessarily, but they're leaning into more food and beverage culture. And it would be this guy. This is a a Stanley Adventure Quencher. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we worked with them not too long ago. And to hear about 110 years after the inception of the company, they're you know better than ever before and more 
popular because of the ways that they're promoting these these tumblers was really fascinating to see understanding what people are passionate about and then how they're riffing on what's really exciting now when it comes to these tumblers and then leaning into more coffee culture cocktail culture you know um we helped reposition that brand to say how do we as a, a drinkware company lean more into food and beverage so while some of the other drinkware companies might be going to outdoor events they're doing fun things like sponsoring sundance and you know sponsoring daybreaker that fun dance parties in the morning fun events that lean into the creativity and innovation they stand for what did you call it a uh, uh... Quencher. It's a it's an adventure quencher. Adventure quencher. <laughs> we we so I have those at the house. We love them because you can store a lot of whatever beverages in there, and it fits in a cup holder. There's right. so many large cups out there where you have maybe a smoothie or whatever, and it doesn't fit in the cup holder, but those fit because of exactly. the, how it narrows in at the bottom. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Yeah, a little plug there for for Stanley. <laughs> Innovation. So crazy. Just That's listen. right. That's right. Okay. So I have I, I, five restaurant chain concepts. I want you to rank these five concepts one to five, but you don't know who's coming next. And you can rank them based on your favorite or just whatever the ranking may be. Are you ready? Ready. So the first one is Chipotle. How would you rank that one through five? Towards the top, I'm going to go with number two as an industry leader in sustainability and a deliciously simple menu. Although I did see just now on Fast Company that you have to pre-order your dang quesadilla, which I don't appreciate. <laughs> the next one is in and out Ooh. I'll go, I'll go three. Three. Chick-fil-A. Now, but as they, as they expand, you know, the cachet, we get yep. on that. The next one is Chick-fil-A. For the reasons I just listed, company culture. But that I'll put it as number one for now. Okay. But it's also fresh in my mind and my mouth. Go on. Smashburger. Let's do five. And then the last one is Quiznos. All right. Quiznos is a local Colorado company. So yeah. I guess I'll stand by a number four. And Smashburger, I love them. I, I feel like there are a lot of burger chains. In that fast casual burger mm-hmm. boom we had, and you know there was a day of reckoning. Now we have to figure out who's who. All yeah, over. yeah, yeah. I saw that Quiznos, Colorado based. I think maybe Smashburgers. Are they Colorado based? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know. Tell me your. Tell me how you would rank them. I would go. I'd have to probably go in and out number one. You know, mm-hmm. being it from California, I have Rightfully to put them. So I get yep. it. I would go number two would be Chipotle for me because I eat there way too much. Um, and they're right down the street from me, their headquarters. Yep. Number three, I would probably go Quiznos. Haven't been there a long time, but used to go there a lot as a kid. And uh, you know, a lot of great memories there. I'd probably go Chick-fil-A next. And I'd go yeah, smash... You got to check your portion sizes. You got you to make sure. I do need to get back to you on the portion sizes. Yes. I need to go and try it again. But they always... What was the thing that they don't say thank you? They say my pleasure. Pleasure. After, yeah. I like that. That's customer service right there. Right. And then I'd go smash burger five only because I've never been there before. Ah, perfect. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can see your logic. Yes. <laughs> So talk to me about Starry-Eyed Strategy. What do you do? How did you get into this business? Just Let's just start with the basic. How, do, how did you get into this? 
Well, I, like so many of us, my first jobs were in food service in mm-hmm. restaurants as hostess, server, busser, and also stocking groceries at the grocery store where my love of CPG LTOs began. And in college, I worked at a restaurant, this family-owned restaurant here in Boulder called Casa Alvarez, which is kind of a um, Colorado-tude version of Mexican Jalisco mm-hmm. origin. And I loved it. So food service has always sort of been in my list of favorites. We got a journalism degree and started in hospitality at Vail Resorts, went back to school and got a job at Yum Brands, the world's largest restaurant company. And when I was at Yum, I came to Boulder with my team and worked with a brand consultancy in innovation to come up with new products since I was on the innovation team. And I liked it so much that after I quit my job with my husband, we quit our jobs together and traveled through Latin America for nine months just to level the playing field and move yeah. home to Colorado, um, that I went to work for that brand consultancy. thought I'd stay for a couple of years, go back to restaurants. Instead, I stayed for 12 and loved it and worked at with big brands and small brands, um, you know, Starbucks and Cinnabon, Svaro, Panera, and then some small ones, but not as many as I would have liked. And I think that's where the real excitement lies is helping up and coming brands or entrepreneurs. So about two years ago, I left and started my own brand consultancy called Starry-Eyed. And we call it Starry-Eyed because that means to be inventive and visionary and sort of picture the future, envision the future and find your place in it. And for the last two years, we've worked on big brands like Chick-fil-A and Stanley, but also some small brands. Um, So a lot of independent restaurants, you know, a hundred-year-old pie company down the street that's now run by the fourth generation family, just a lot of different up-and-coming brands, I'll call them, that are very exciting. So helping them to understand what their brand purpose is and what that means for the experience so that they can create connections with their guests. Love that. I, I saw on LinkedIn, you're you're not just the founder, but you're also the brand wayfinder. That's what we call it, Nick, because it is really, you know, wayfinding, sort of like a Moana theme happening. Yeah, I love Moana. Brands find their North Star. It's really connecting the consumer insights that you see, the trends that we're talking about, the ways the world is going with what's happening in the real world and what consumers can connect with and just creating, especially those shared values between your guest and your brand and figuring out what they what they share and then how you can convey that to them so that they know that you are the best option for them. For, the, for those out there who are listening, maybe they're in charge of a brand. What are some of the deliverables that you offer when someone works with you? That's a great question. So a lot of times, you know, when especially if a food service company or a restaurant wants to think about connecting with consumers, they jump ahead to more of the logo and what it looks like. But we say we can't design a logo if we don't know what the brand's about. So it always, 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 when you're finding brands North Star, especially in the food service space where it's so experiential in the hospitality, it's always about the consumer insight. What does the guest care about? What is the guest looking for? What are their lives like? You know, what are they up to? And then also, who are you up against? What's the landscape look like? Who are your key competitors? Who are more of the aspirational or inspirational competitors that you might look to and what are the you know industry antis versus the drivers what do you have to do and a lot of times it's super helpful for menu what are the menu items that you have to have versus what are the drivers what are the signature standouts that you can have that nobody else would that are super newsworthy so that you can be memorable so it always starts with the consumer insights it also starts with the food service brands aspirations what do you what do you want to become and the team too so that we can create that culture around it 
And then moving forward, we a lot of times we'll have what we call a North Star session where we align on those insights and those ways in from a positioning standpoint. We use a tool called Archetypes, which are the top 12 heroes and all of timeless storytelling. We've used this tool across categories, across cultures, across countries to align on higher order ideal, you know, ideals or human values. So we say, what can this brand really stand for? And coming out of that, it's all about that North Star framework of what is the positioning? What's our purpose? What's our guest promise? And what does that mean for the experience? Then a lot of times the consultancies or, you know, the management consultancy of the world will just leave it that and be like, well, there you go. That's what it is. But instead, we really think through the experience and the, the guest touch points. So what does this mean for product and either the products or the menu items that you sell? What does it mean for people and the service style? You know, what do they what do they wear? What do they say? Like the my pleasure situation. Um, that you know, what are what are the, the ways of working? Uh, what does it mean for the place, either the packaging or your restaurant design? What does it mean for promotions? And not deals and discounts, but more new news and partnerships and the causes you get behind. So envisioning that whole brand experience. And a lot of times we will finish the positioning and then we'll move into now what does this mean for brand brand identity and the logo and the website design, you know, the packaging, menu strategy, things like that. So it's really thinking holistically about it. And we like to say, stay starry-eyed because you're envisioning, like we said, what what is the future and what's your place in it so that you can be helpful to the and the preferred option for guests. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, you really you're solving a lot of problems for these brands that maybe a lot of blind spots they don't even realize that they have. Is there anything that you see maybe more common than other things where a lot of these brands fall short or where they don't maybe yeah, or maybe just even a blind spot that a lot of them have? A lot of times what we see, especially when a brand gets to a certain size, is deviating from their brand purpose or not knowing exactly what their menu style and you know culinary perspective is. They will maybe follow the trends. You know, the chicken sandwich wars were were big and still are. And a lot of brands maybe didn't have any business getting into fried chicken, but they felt like they needed to compete. Um, we did a project for Cinnabon once to help them with their brand architecture of how to expand because they were in a lot of different places. And it's all about coming back to what does the brand stand for? And you can do anything, but it's just a matter of how. So you know, figuring out how you would move into some of those more competitive spaces in a way that makes sense for your brand. I don't know if you have, have done any research on this, but one brand that comes to mind where they did a refresh a, a while ago <laughs> was Wendy's. And, you know, their social media presence, especially on Twitter, it's kind of very satirical. It's very funny. It's, it puts their brand in a different light than I think what it was prior. Mm -hmm. You know what, Nick? I think I was there when that all went down. We did a lot of work for Wendy's at the brand consultancy I mentioned before the starry eyed days. And one of our projects was positioning breakfast. And with breakfast, we positioned coffee and we came up with an idea and, you know, it, the breakfast QSR space is so crazy and it's so competitive and it's so habitual to change consumer behavior. And when we were outlining this, we were looking for something that could be different within the coffee space. And we were inter- interviewing like the roasters and the suppliers and all these people talk about the whole 360 of food service. What can be different about Wendy's coffee? And one guy said, well, we roasted like high energy, higher heat you know, higher, a little bit higher heat. And we're like, whoa, oh, well, the flavor. So we came up with an idea called Redhead Roasters and the flavor was sealed into each bean, you know, like coffee with character. 
And that sparked this idea of not continuing down because Dave Thomas is wonderful, but they were talking about passing it on to his daughter, Wendy, who at this point was an adult and in the, in the ads, I don't know how well they did, but the idea of redhead roasters with a fun and feisty redhead, and we created a campaign around it and celebrated what, you know, what makes you different what makes you uh, with character to support this coffee. It ended up changing the way that they thought of their brand at a, at a master brand level. So their AOR, their agency of record, I think actually switched it over. And that's when they found their younger redhead who wasn't the real Wendy, but actually had that same personality. Fascinating. And I love what they did. I yeah. love that. And just how it's changed the trajectory of, of the brand. So they're still in breakfast. They don't have that branded uh, redhead roasters, but it did, I think, have a positive impact on everything else they do. Yeah, By for the way, sure. Have you had a pumpkin spice frosty this season? I, ha- I have not. I have not had a pumpkin. What is it? Pumpkin spice frosty? Pumpkin, pumpkin spice frosty. We I've said that too one. at the time. We're like, could we do flavors? We're like, nah, let's just stick to chocolate because you know it was really all about Dave Thomas classics. But now they're starting to strategically dip their toe into flavored LTOs, which I love. They did yes. a vanilla strawberry. Now treat yourself to a pumpkin spice. Uh huh. Yeah, my my wife and I every. Uh, Every year around this time, love our pumpkin drinks. A lot of times we'll go to Starbucks because it's right down the street. And I think they have one on every corner in America, probably. (laughs) And we get our pumpkin uh, lattes and whatnot. I think they're probably full of sugar and probably not good for you. But we're like, we don't care. We love them. No, I'm now to the point where I'm doing a pumpkin spice contest. Mm -hmm. I'll save, save my change, save my points. And now I have to try them all and see which is the best. So next time we talk, we'll do one through five best pumpkin spice in Orange County and Boulder. I'm already in. I'm already in for that. I appreciate that you're ranking them. Uh, It's like the guy, have you ever seen Dave Portnoy? He goes around New York City and ranks all the pizza places and whatnot. Instead of one bite, everyone knows rules. It's like one sip, one sip. Everybody knows rules. (laughs) You know the rules. Are you helping restaurants when it comes to seasonal menus as well? Yeah, yeah. Yes, we do. Um, we're partnering right now. With, well, a couple of things that are fun. We're trying to figure out how to create more alliances with our local nonprofits, including an independent restaurant coalition and a CPG nonprofit so that we can better support their members. And one of the projects we're doing with um, with the nonprofit for the independent restaurants is a Kenyan barbecue concept mm-hmm. and figuring out what percentage of the menu should be the same all year round. So people have that to depend on and what should change out and how often. So yeah, that's a big piece of what we do. We do that a lot of times. You know, QSR got wild where they had so many menus and now we're starting to see everybody scale back a bit because it's just too hard for ops to manage. At the same time, consumers may not get it <laughs> in time. So there's a little disappointment. Uh, so yes, what what are the seasonal LTOs? Uh, what's the right cadence and frequency? And what should those be so that, like I said, they can be newsworthy? Okay, I've got a, a funny question. So I'm in food service sales. So I'm a food service broker and sell into restaurants and casinos, anywhere they serve food, any, any food away from home, we're calling on it if it's in California, Nevada, or Hawaii. Those are our states. When it comes to the larger operations, and I'm not saying like Chipotle or Chick-fil-A, like the huge ones, but like a regional chain, when would be a realistic time to start thinking about seasonal LTOs with them? Let's say I want to do something, a pumpkin flavored something. What point in the year do they start looking at at something like that? It's never too early. A lot of brands right now, we're helping them to envision 18 months out. 
you know, when I worked at Yum Brands at KFC, we we had the flexibility sometimes to change the window, the menu, like or the window, six months out or so. But I would say, depending on what you're trying to source, especially for you guys, you know, six to twelve plus months out with all of our supply chain issues that have been wild. I would say the sooner you can plan that, the better. And the fun thing too, that we're pondering a lot of times with restaurant brands or or food service brands is what are they going to need? What can you promote? What can you match with the seasonality, but also with their brand so that they can have, everybody needs their own pumpkin spice latte that everybody can look forward to. That's a good point. Yeah. You have to, you have to think about that stuff way in advance when you're working with these brands. And this is for people listening along. Who do you typically work with? You know, what is the title of the decision makers that you're working with? That's a great question. Most of the time, it's the CMO or the VP of marketing, the okay. people who are head of marketing. Though, as we've talked about, what we do does not only apply to marketing. It's really the, the 360 view of how food service business is run. Because when we think about things like promotions and the menu features or you know those, those windows that you would talk about as new news, you really have to consider back of house realities, you know, supply chain, ingredients, all the things that would go into creating those dishes and drinks. So a lot of it um, looks across. Some sometimes our clients are the head of product or R&D or culinary. So it just depends on which group we're working with, but typically it's also a cross-functional collaboration. On the topic of of marketing and food service, would you say as a whole, as an industry as a whole, that we are up to par better than or lagging behind other industries on the marketing side? Great question. I believe that food a lot of times leads the trends. So I would say maybe not as forward thinking and forward focused as tech, but when you compare it with all the other trends, I think we're at the forefront, especially because when you think about it, Nick, all the trends that are set in food then trickle down to everything else. You see the same trends pop in beauty, for instance, or personal care, which is why you see your coconut water shampoo and conditioner, mm-hmm. charcoal toothpaste, and it's all the stuff that we eat that then we put in everything else. That also applies to pet products. It applies to sometimes all of the outdoor adventures. So I think food is towards the front, but maybe not at the tippy top. Yeah. What are your thoughts? You know, I, ha- I think I have lots of different thoughts when it comes to what I do selling and marketing to restaurants, trying to get products in. I feel that side is a lot of times the manufacturers, that's typically my client. They spend a lot of money in the retail space, e-commerce. You know, they do, they put a lot of their marketing dollars into that. And then food service is a little bit more old school. You know, yeah. everything comes in a, in a brown box. It's, a 10 pound case, 20 pound case, whatever it is. So they just, there's not as much attention. That's why I ask us um, on the restaurant side, you know, you see uh, incredible marketing. I mean, the commercials, they just do a nice job. But I think when it comes to food service marketing, it, trying to sell into these restaurants, from what I see, I, you know, it's definitely, I think, a, a work in, in progress and something that I'm always trying to think like, how do we think outside the box? How do we think like tech and these other industries? that do it very well. Yeah. And how do you maybe develop your own brand so that you can do a better job of delivering on that? I think some of the commodity boards have done a good job of balancing that, like avocados from Mexico or the mm-hmm. blueberry board. And they're branding themselves 
and also creating experiences for their customers, you know, avocados from Mexico, taking everybody on their annual trip to Mexico and thinking through how they would demonstrate what it is that they stand for or what they do best. So I think there are some in that similar realm who are doing a better job. But I agree, the food service itself, just like CPG and grocery, it's a little bit lagging. Yeah. What's it like now being an entrepreneur, being a business owner? And wild, Nick. The oh, oh, just a wild ride that I sort of wish I'd done sooner. <laughs> oh, what? Why? Uh, I feel like I thought that I needed to master a lot of things before I would strike out on my own. And I don't know that that's the case. I think just you know trying a lot of different things is the best way to go about it, uh, which I've discovered in the last two years. I've got five little kids, and my oldest is about to turn four. And I think when I got to that point, I said, "Well, I need I need some um, other challenges, perhaps, to to focus on." So we started Starry Eyed as the consultancy. I actually launched a CPG company with a friend and former client that when it was in kids drinks, and we paused it when Michelle Obama launched her version. We said, "Maybe, maybe we rethink." <laughs> so I did a lot of different things just to explore a little bit. But I think that being an entrepreneur, thinking through, you know, just how you can help more people uh, has been quite the adventure. I think it's been a lot of fun. What is something that you want to accomplish but haven't yet accomplished? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think we're really trying to figure out how to, like I said, serve more people and help more brands and businesses. Some of those collaborations I mentioned with the nonprofits are a couple of ways. We're thinking about how to have a lot of mompreneurs, I'll call them, like mom entrepreneurs who say, I'd like to start a brand and business. And I'm pondering how to create more of a starry-eyed academy with more of these courses so that we can you know, teach what we do to more entrepreneurs and, and help them get going. Um, so that's something I'd like to do. I think, too, we're also pondering, inspired by some of these projects like Stanley that are kind of on the cusp, like 70% of what we do is in food, whether it's food service or restaurant, hospitality. Um, but I'm intrigued by leveraging all that and moving into more of the outdoor industry too, which is where we spend most of our time in Colorado. That's very true. That's very true. I like that. A couple of things to to think about. Yeah, totally. If you look back on your career up until this point, do you have any stories of something that was challenging that you overcame or something that was funny that you never you'll never forget? Just any any story that comes to mind that that was very memorable to you. Yeah, uh, a lot of stories. One one was when I started at Yum Brands. You know, as a, just a right out of grad school, hadn't been in the food service space, and it was my job, Nick, to track every single piece of equipment and every little smallware for a national launch at KFC. I was terrible at it. I wasn't very good. I didn't. I wasn't good at spreadsheets. <laughs> um, and so to to remedy that. I ended up asking a lot of different leads of my cross-functional teams to be my mentor. So I got a finance mentor. I got a, an ops mentor. I got an R&D mentor. I hung out with culinary. I hung out with insights just to figure out how the restaurant world worked and what I needed to know. And I think, luckily, it was a little iffy for a minute there. <laughs> luckily, it all worked out. So I, I had a handle on that. I think it made me better to understand how that restaurant-ready process worked and how you know, food service, um, just the the world is run and all the sides to it. So I think uh, that was very helpful. A lot of learning. 
Um, another when you asked that question, another example that came to mind was when I was first on the um, agency side and a consultant, and uh, somebody said, well, "Go ahead and call the noodles and company CMO and get this project started." I was like, "Okay, <laughs> I just sure." And and go and like get in that focus group uh, room and talk about you know semiotics and serving sizes and dishes. And I I hadn't taken moderator training. I didn't know as much about insights research. But I was like, "All right, okay." It was like Zoolander. Do you know what I'm doing today? No. Yeah. Don't know what I'm learning about? No. But I'm here. I'm going to give it my best shot. So That's I think right. practicing, just being willing to try it, <laughs> good mm-hmm. experiences. What advice would you give to people? I can go a few different ways. What advice would you give someone to become what you've become? Or what advice would you give to brands out there of how they can take their brand to the next level? Well, for the former... Um, I taught a class at CU's uh, business school last year all about consumer behavior and okay. understanding how you develop brands and what it means to businesses. And for my students, I often tell them, get an internship, just try it, or you know, talk to different people about what you think you'd want to do and see if that was something that you would like, learn more about it. And for brands I or restaurants or food service companies, I often say, check in with consumers. Um, you know, talk to your guests, talk to your target customer and figure out what it is that they would prefer. Because I think a lot of times brands just skip ahead to what they want it to be. And it's not really about what you want the brand to be. It's about what they want it to be mm-hmm. and how you can create those long-term connections with them. So we've gotten really good at Starry-Eyed at just thinking through entrepreneurial ways, more scrappy ways to get those consumer insights and to understand what guests want and what they think about your brand. Um, I think it's it's becoming easier than ever before to to find them and to ask for their input. Because before it would be massive segmentation study or a whole bunch of investment to do your qualitative. It's it's much, much easier. Yeah. For those listening along, what is the best way to find you, to work with you, to connect with you? Sure. You can find me on LinkedIn, Liz Seeley, or StarryEyedStrategy.com. We also do a little bit of social, little, you know, we try to give glimpses of what oh, we we're have working to. on lately. Um, and you can also just email me at Liz at StarryEyedStrategy.com. Easy enough. Well, Liz, thank you so much for taking time to come on to the podcast and do an episode with me. I, I really appreciate it. I enjoyed our conversation too. And I learned a, I, I learned a lot. And I learned about Colorado as well in, their, in your food service space. So I appreciate it. I, I wrote down some notes here. You say Frosca and, Frosca. and then chicken and beer? Uh, the Post. Big Red F. Oh, the, the post. post by Big Red F. And Corrida. We got to go there because they have Absolutely. these Spanish gin and tonics as big as your head. <laughs> Let, let's That's good to know. That sounds good to me. <laughs> Thank you so much, Liz. Thank you, Nick.